Hey, hello. Welcome to the Big Sky Breakdown. This is Coulter Nuanez. As always, you can find this podcast, SkylineSportsMT.com. Coming to you on a Monday, this podcast, Jeff Choate's weekly press conference, his team coming off their first FCS loss of the season, 34-21 in Bozeman to Sacramento State. First time the Hornets have beat back-to-back ranked opponents in more than a decade, and their first time they've won in Bozeman since 1991. So huge win for Sac State. They're up to number 15 in the polls. Bobcats down to number 13 in the polls. Sac State beat the Cats in a variety of ways, exploited a lot of their weaknesses. They stuffed the run. They only gave up 141 yards rushing. This is a Montana State team averaging almost 270 coming into the game. They averaged only 2.5 yards per carry if you take away Logan Jones's 40-yard run. In the second half, only 16 yards on 15 carries for the Bobcats. Pretty tough for them to rally, especially when the passing game continues to struggle like it did. I thought the stats in this game were really deceiving. Sac State had less than 400 yards of total offense. Montana State had more than 400. But a lot of that was because Sac State got really short fields because of, one, a failed fourth down try early on, two, a botched punt. Jared Patterson mishandled the snap and then botched the punt, gave him a short field. So Sac State had the ball at midfield two different times. They capitalized both of those times. And then their other two drives in the second half, really dominating long, methodical drives where they converted third down after third down. They were 9 of 13 on third downs. Kevin Thompson, that's why I say the stats are deceiving, because Kevin Thompson is the Big Sky Offensive Player of the Week. He had 260 yards passing, three touchdowns, 74 yards rushing, two more touchdowns. Tucker Rovig actually threw for two more yards than uh, Kevin Thompson did, but Kevin Thompson thoroughly outplayed Tucker Rovig, and he's definitely one of the best quarterbacks in the league. Sac State, at one point, had five straight scoring drives, Really took Montana State's defense apart, and Jeff Choate talks a lot about the schematic elements of exactly that. In this podcast, he also talks a lot about Montana State's facilities renovations. They raised $18 million, the biggest athletic gift in school history. Uh, Over 500 people contributed to that fundraising effort, and they will start construction on the Bobcat Athletic Complex following the completion of the 2019 football season, expected to open by 2021. So huge deal for Montana State, a uh, huge deal for the Bobcats in general, uh, just as an athletic department. Uh, so there's Jeff Choate following his team's first loss. They're heading to a bye this week, so he talks a little bit about what they need to do. Head into the bye, Jeff Choate. As always, this podcast presented in part by Town Pump. Town Pump, Montana's best since 1953. No matter where you're at in Montana, there's a Town Pump near you. Where they need fuel, that's my go-to as I'm going back and forth between Missoula and Bozeman. I'm always hitting either a Grizz game or a Bobcat game. I'm always hitting up a town pump. Whether they need a snack, some caffeine, some fuel, whatever you need, town pump. There's a town pump near you no matter where you're at in Montana. Also brought to you by Selway Armory. If you're around the Bozeman area, go check out the new Selway Armory store. It's beautiful uh, out there on Jackrabbit Lane. Tons of inventory. Your firearms go-to spot, whether you need ammunition, a rifle, a handgun, whatever you need. Subway Armory, they got you covered. Also location in Missoula as well, so go check them out. One of your firearms experts shop with Subway Armory for a year. We guarantee you you're going to save money compared to the big box stores. Really present Town Pump and Subway Armory for being the presenting sponsors of the Big Sky Breakdown podcast. Subway Armory is the best place to get guns, ammo, and accessories anywhere around. Don't believe me? Then take the Subway Armory Challenge. Shop with Subway for a year, and you'll save enough to buy an additional firearm. After the remodel, Subway Armory has doubled their in-store inventory. And with a local warehouse, they can get you any product you want while regularly beating competition prices. Subway Armory is locally owned, with experts on hand to answer any question. Buy local, save money. Take the Subway Challenge. Subway Armory, 2425 Stockyard Road, Unit E6, behind IHOP on North Reserve. One of the primary reasons I wanted to talk today is I wanted to kind of address um, the announcement that was made uh, after the first quarter of the game on Saturday. 
in regards to uh, in, in regards to the facility in the north end zone. And, uh, you know, it's been a culmination of a lot of hard work. Uh, I think uh, one of the things that stood out to me when I got here, one of the ironic things is when I interviewed for the job, they never brought me on campus. I'd been in this building one time in 2003. Um, when I walked back into it after I got the job, my very first day on the job, nothing had changed, nothing. Um, the paint was the same, the carpet was the same, the chairs were the same. And so it had been a number of years before anything had been done. And so, you know, we made it a mission to try to, you know, put a little lipstick on the pig and, and clean up our offices a little bit. Um, but the reality is when you look at 350 student athletes in this space and uh, there had been, you know, what we're sitting in now obviously was an addition that was done in the late 90s, but it's just not adequate. And especially when you look around the country and, and you look at places like James Madison and North Dakota State and in our own league now, Weber State with a new facility and um, the arms race that's taken place, Cal Davis is investing $40 million in a new facility. Eastern Washington has announced a new project. The University of Montana has, uh, has, has added to their facilities. And so uh, in order for us to continue to compete at the level that I think the expectation is in this program, uh, we, we had to make an investment in facilities and not just for football, really for our athletic department as a whole. Um, you walk through our weight room right now, and the good news is we've got a lot of stuff in there, and there's a lot of people taking advantage of it. The bad news is there's not any room for people. And uh, uh, our training facility, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm always amazed at the job that our support staff does here. I really am. I mean, I, I tip my hat to Alex Wilcox and his staff and Rob Higgs and his staff. And if there's anybody that deserves to have a better, more adequate space, it's probably Rob Higgs after being here for 27 years and, and uh, kind of laboring in obscurity, so to speak, but he, uh, they, they do a tremendous job. And I think our job as, as, uh, as leaders, whether that be our administration across campus with President Cruzado, Terry Lease and that crew, or within athletics with uh, Leon Costello and um, you know, our other head coaches is to, is to figure out how do we make this the best it can be for our kids. And uh, when the decision was made that this was the project that we were gonna move forward with, there was a lot of pushback initially saying, hey, we need an indoor. I don't disagree with that. I don't, uh, but being a team player, I knew that the most important thing we needed to do was to add space for all of our student athletes. And this project does that. And it allows us to um, move up our primary football operations to kind of its more natural home across the street over there. It eliminates, uh, one of the things that they talk a lot about with student athletes is how do you give them back time? And I just think about the time that it takes us to prepare for practice every day. Uh, whether that's, you know, and we've got a transition. It's a quarter-mile walk for us all the way over, all the way back every day. And it's not just us. I mean, Rob and his crew have got to move basically a satellite training room over there every morning. And uh, we move, move a satellite weight room over there every morning, and then we haul it back. And it is a, you know, it's a major operation. It's not moving 10 or 15 people. It's moving 100-plus people over there every morning. And uh, we, we juggle around our position meetings and our special teams meetings um, you know, this week is a bye week and it worked out great. I think it's awesome that we've got Luke Combs coming to, to Bozeman, but had he, had it not been on a bye week, you know, we would have been kicked out of this space and had to move over to the, to the, to the, uh, um, to the stadium. And what that means for us is all of our hard, hardwired stuff in terms of our teaching tools for film and whatnot, that means we've got to surge that stuff. And if it doesn't surge right, then you're just kind of at the mercy. All right, we're going to go do a walkthrough. And I give our kids a lot of credit. They've never complained. Um, they, you know, regardless of the weather, regardless of what we've got to do, our coaching staff. And so um, I'm just excited because I think this is something that is going to move our athletic department forward in a really positive way and provide the type of facilities that 
um, will allow us to continue to attract really high-quality young men and young women into our programs. And so um, it's going to alleviate a lot of stress, but it's also going to create new opportunities. And I think that's part of a growing uh, athletic department. Now the new, the new challenges that are now on the horizon is how do we staff that new facility? Um, that's going to require in addition to perhaps the training room uh, in, in terms of their personnel, the weight room in terms of their personnel, equipment room in terms of their personnel. And so it's going to allow our athletics department to grow organically because of the need to staff these new areas. And so I think that's going to be huge. I mean, I noticed that the University of Montana announced a, a locker room project for their basketball. Well, that's now something that we can talk about because in 2021, when we move out of here, there's an entire locker room space that's now been created created that can be used for enhancing our existing programs uh, facilities as well and so I think it's a win-win um, I can't say enough about the support of this community it was really more of a grassroots deal we had 500 separate donors that, that contributed to this uh, to this project I don't know that that happens very often usually you're leaning on one or two big hitters and we certainly had some amazing people step forward and uh, and make major contributions to this but I think there's a lot of people that have skin in the game here. And I think that speaks to the, uh, the pride and commitment of Bobcat Nation, this community rallying around and recognizing the importance of providing better space for our student athletes. And I'm really proud to be a part of that in a small way. Um, you know, maybe this, I, I had to be the squeaky wheel sometimes. I know it's not always fair to ask people in different roles to step out and, and, uh, and pound the table, so to speak. But um, I was fine doing it because I really believe that that fighting for what was right for our student-athletes needed to be done. And uh, behind the scenes, we had a ton of support from our administration. And, and uh, you know, I told Leon, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bark today. And you go, all right, go ahead. You know, and, uh, and uh, hopefully that, in a, in a small way, was able to push this forward. So excited about that. And I know, obviously, coming on the heels of a, of a tough loss on Saturday, that maybe takes a little bit of the uh, shine off of that announcement. Uh, it did not affect, however, the excitement and enthusiasm about Kenny Chesney coming to Bobcat Stadium on July 5th. So, um, you know, there's always something positive to hang on to. And so uh, moving forward, talking a little bit about the Sac State game, you know, I really felt like both sides of the line of scrimmage, we got beat up. And there's just no easy way to, to describe that. I think that's kind of been something that we've hung our hat on. I thought early in the game we were kind of in a, you know, back and forth type of game. And I thought that uh, as the game wore on, we did not – continue to maintain that aggressive mindset. Uh, we got hit in the mouth a few times, and we started to play on our heels. We did not play with the same level of speed, enthusiasm, intensity that we've played with historically here uh, over the last probably 10, 15 games since I've been here. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, you go to the why, right? I mean, that's what you, we've spent the better part of the last day and a half doing is figuring, okay, why did this happen? And, uh, and you, know, you can point out, hey, was it an effort thing? Was it a scheme thing? Are we fatigued? Were we looking ahead to the bye week? None of those even matter. What matters now is the how. How do we respond? How do we fix the issues that we have? And so uh, we spent the better part of the last day and a half examining us. I think there's definitely some tendency things that we uh, got exposed on on Saturday on both sides of the, of, of the line. Uh, defensively, being a little too predictable in terms of when we were playing man-to-man -man and them doing a nice job of having us schemed up. Uh, the RPO game hurt us. We got into a lot of run-pass conflicts, and there were some coverage things that we could have done better. Um, on offense, obviously, you know, we're pretty predictable when we do certain things. Um, although we did move the ball very, very well, our, our issues came in the red zone more or less. And we had the turnover in the red zone early in the game after a really efficient first drive and then uh, two additional fourth down stops in the red zone. So you tip your hat to them and the way they toughened up down there. Um, I thought, you know, one of my positive takeaways would be I thought Tucker really operated well 
it was probably his his best game. Had a couple drops and a couple throws he might like to have back, but uh, I thought he made better decisions. He was more decisive. He got the ball out of his hands uh, in spite of a lot of pressure that we were going to get from that front. But where I think one of the things that showed up for us from a coaching standpoint as coaches, I don't think we had these guys prepared for some of the things they were going to see, and I don't think we did a good enough job of making in-game adjustments in a timely fashion. We'd get to it, but we'd get to it three or four series too late. We need to get to those things immediately, and that's what uh, really I've challenged our staff with, and, and starting with myself as the head coach, and, uh, and to examine again, hey, the why is what the why is. We talked about that with the young men yesterday. Now it matters about the how. You know, how are we going to respond? Because I think this is really going to define our season. It's uh, hard to go into a bye week like this because, you know, you got this cloud hanging over your head. I know I'm excited to get back on the practice field again tomorrow and kind of flush this thing out a little bit and start looking ahead to the University of North Dakota. And so with that being said, I'm happy to take any questions. Do you like having the bye in the middle of the, the season? I think it's a late bye. Um, you know, it kind of probably depends every year on your team. I would have liked to maybe had an earlier bye this year, but you can't control that. You know, um, we've played the better part of the season without our top tailback. Um, Troy clearly has not been healthy, 100% anyway. Um, Munchie just got back and was a little rusty. And so we've got a lot of injuries that we've been dealing with, but everybody does, you know. And so when that thing occurs, you know, I think it probably, you know, if you ask me, if we got the thing done on Saturday, I'd say, yeah, it was a great time for us to buy coming off. Of, I love going recruiting after a buy after a win. I don't like it quite as much after a loss, and especially the way that game played out on Saturday. And so um, I think probably every coach in the country would tell you it's welcome anytime it comes. You get an opportunity to really – I think the one positive for us is we've got a lot of stuff on tape. And the most important thing that we're doing right now is that self-scout. And a lot of times you don't get a chance to, you know, without a huge staff like you have at the FBS level where you've got your consultants and your analysts that are constantly giving you that feedback, we've kind of got to wait until we're not in game plan mode and then look at, hey, who are we? What do we do well? Why are we doing it well? What are we not doing well? Why are we not doing it well? What do we need to do to evolve and, uh, and, and tighten things up as we go down this five-game stretch? You guys have played so physical in your time here. Was there a little bit of shock when you – from the, from the players, did you feel when they met an opponent that was quite physical? Yeah, well, and I think it was a little bit of it is kind of who we've played. You know, uh, you open up the game, the year, and, and I'm not saying Texas Tech isn't physical, but their style isn't the same. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, I, it's funny. I don't know if the kids listen to me all the time, but I, mean, I knew this was good personnel. I knew this was. The quarterback was good. The running back was good. Their old line was good. Their D-line's the best that we faced at our level. Um, they create some problems with some of their movement and blitz packages. And so I definitely think there was a little bit of that, oh, this, this isn't quite as easy as it has been. You know? and, and when we made mistakes, those were, those were amplified because of the quality of opponent that we had, uh, giving them short fields, getting behind the sticks on offense. Those are the things that we can't do. And as I told our guys, I mean, I really feel like Sacramento State is one of the best teams in this league. And uh, they showed it on Saturday. And I think it exposed some of our, our flaws that we've got to be honest with ourselves, look in the mirror, address them, and move forward in a way that, you know, understand that, hey, every game from here on out is just going to get more and more challenging. With the uh, new facility, how do you think it impacts recruiting? Well, I, I think I've said this a number of times. You know, if, uh, if uh, uh, somebody's looking for a car and they want a new car and all you have is used cars on your lot, they're going to go to another lot. And so um, – Certainly, I think that it matters tremendously to young people now. I think facilities, academic support. If you look at kind of the analytics of, of why people choose universities and then you drill that down to why they choose uh, a university to compete in athletics, uh, there's some things that show up. 
And you, you'll see a lot of colleges and universities now are investing in more high-tech dorms and food service. Well, where you live, if you're going to pay a bunch of money to go to school somewhere, where you live and where you eat matters. Well, we figured that out, right? I mean, we've got, I think, an unbelievable setup on, you know, with you know, two new dorms in the last four years going to be on track and rendezvous and Miller Dining's re, uh, the redo of Miller Dining. And so, you know, that's one of the pieces. So you got to kind of go down the list. There's certain things you can't control, right? I can't control how far Bozeman is from Los Angeles. I can't control that. Okay. I can't control that. Uh, hey, if a kid wants to be, uh, you know, a maid, they want to be a forestry major and we don't offer that major. I can't control that. Okay. So there's things that you can control and facilities is one of the things that you can control that really has a huge influence in a kid's, in a kid's decision because where are they spending the most time? They're spending the most time in that facility. That's their home. And if it's a, if it's a nice, briny, bright, shiny, clean, state of the art home, uh, I think that adds to their experience and it adds value to us as a, as a, as a product for them in the recruiting process. This has been in the talks now for quite some time, but now that it's starting to come together, you know, in a more real sense, what has the reaction been from the students? Well, the ones that aren't going to be here are mad. Um, <laughs> and I can't control that either. Um, but as I told him, I said, you know, you guys have to take pride in the fact that you are part of building this legacy. I mean, one of the reasons this got done is because we were able to put a product out there that people saw, hey, that they're improving, these kids fight, they're able to be in, in contention for playoff bids and things of that nature, and I think that does play a role in, in some of that. Um, and I think also, you know, those, those local kids that are going to be able to come back and be a part of that in the future, and even our guys from out of state, when a homecoming rolls around, they're going to be able to, they're going to be the most excited ones to walk through that locker room and see the new training facility and all those types of things. And so, um, and then the guys that are in the program, you know, we've, we've kind of silently been, you know, pounding the table and, hey, we're going to get this done. We're going to get this done. We're going to get this done. Well, I, I laugh because I think Kane has like 14 different you know, drawings in his office of what could have been. Uh, when, he, when he took the job at Washington, I got rid of those. And uh, I think there was one in there that was signed by Jason McIndoo. You know, it's coming, but don't hold your breath or something along those lines was I think what he uh, signed on one of, the, uh, one of the architectural drawings that was in there. And so for us to be able to be at a point where we're saying, hey, this is really going to happen. I won't tell you who said this. I was doing a quarterback club thing last spring. And I'll tell you that it is a parent of one of our current coaches, but I was doing a quarterback club event last spring, and I talked about how close we are and we've got to get this thing going. And this is, you know, trying to, you know, obviously push the agenda, so to speak. And in all fairness, and, and probably justifiably, he's like, I've been hearing this for years. You know, essentially saying, I don't believe you. And I said, we're going to get it done. And, uh, and I believed that, and I knew we had the support of our administration. I knew they were working extremely hard to make this work, uh, both, as I said, across campus and within this building. And it was, uh, it was an important deal because I think the thing that really pushed it over the top was that it wasn't just a football initiative, that it did truly benefit all of our student-athletes, and that allowed us to engage a wide variety of donors. You mentioned this being a community thing. Kind of how out and about were you trying to you know, make relationships and yeah, whatever role I was asked to fulfill, whether that was talking to specific individual donors, um, making sure that I mentioned it when I was around the state for quarterback club, Bobcat club, alumni functions. Uh, certainly, uh, that's a platform that I do have. And, and uh, you know, it was almost like a campaign. You know, you, every time you go out, you got, hey, this is our agenda. We've got to stick to it. And I do think that that was helpful because, again, um, if we were splintered on that, if the administration said, hey, this is our number one priority and I wasn't on board, you know, if I said, hey, no, I want the indoor and they wanted the facility, 
that wasn't going to work. We had to be pulling on the same rope, and not just myself and, and Leon, but our, our athletic. I mean, I think if you were to talk to the people in track and field, women's basketball, volleyball, they get it. Like they know that this is going to make it better for them too. And so I think that we've picked the right project because we could all get behind it. It wasn't going to just benefit one aspect of our athletic program. How about the academic centerpiece of it? Yeah, that's huge. Um, you know, this area here, I think part of the idea is that this becomes kind of a student-athlete lounge, and they can still turn it and use it for events like concerts and state volleyball and things of that nature. But this will become, instead of a meeting space for football, this becomes more of a, a place where we can have a Wi-Fi set up and they can come in with their laptops and iPads and, and be, you know, steps away from the academic center, which will uh, occupy the current football offices. And uh, that's a perfect space for it. Um, there's, there's breakout rooms that can be used for tutoring. There's already office space for staff. We've got an expanding staff there as well, hiring a learning specialist, having people within you know, uh, um, our sports dietitian, uh, you know, sports psychology, all those different elements. A lot of those people are kind of floating around and don't have a home. And so there's going to be space for really, it's not just going to, I think, be that student academic services, that it's going to be kind of students athlete services. I mean, there's going to be a lot of things that are housed here. You got the south entrance. They're going to be able to not, you know, when, when everything's locked down, we'll be able to come in here and do our thing, have this space, have the academic center. Um, I think it's, a, like I said, it's a, it's a win-win in so many ways. And um, we desperately needed better and more space for our academic support. You had three sacks in the last three weeks, I think, all against Cal Poly. What, what have teams done to stifle some of the pass rush, and what do you need to address internally? Yeah, well, I mean, clearly Cal Poly's a little bit different animal, and we were, got them off schedule a little bit and were able to get some sacks, but I knew we weren't going to have an easy time getting They lead the league in giving up sacks. Part of it is it's all the RPO. You know, they're driving off the ball, so you're not getting a high-hat pass read anyway. The ball's out fast. Um, you've got to defend screen a bunch against them, so that takes the edge off a lot of your pass rush. And so I think there were some one-on-ones that we had opportunities, and Thompson did a nice job of ex escaping. Uh, we got a handful of hits on him, but we were not able to get after him. And, and it was one of those deals where you're a little bit leery to bring a ton of pressure because they're so good in the screen game. Um, and that you know, hurt us on a couple of occasions, but not as much as it has hurt some other opponents. And I mean, I think they had a 93-yard touchdown on a shovel screen against Northern Colorado a few weeks back, similar play that they got a first down on against us. And so, um, you know, you, you got to make sure that you have the correct balance of aggressive mindset and sound football. And what they do on offense makes you defend a lot, with, especially with the plus one run game. When you look back on it, how, how much did Troy Taylor have that dial, his offense dialed up? And, and can you speak to him as a play caller? Yeah, I think he did a great job. And I don't think, uh, I don't think it was like signal picking. I think it was just tendencies that we had developed over a six-game period of time. Uh, we were playing a lot of man-to-man -man on third and extra long, man under two deep, um, trying to play tight windows against good passers and things of that na nature. And they had some pick routes and some rub routes that got us into some conflicts early. I thought that uh, you know we, we had a tendency to run a, a ton of boundary rotation with our safety and get into post-safety stuff. And they did a really good job of working the field in their RPO game because the Mike linebackers in a run-pass conflict, as soon as they flash the run, he's got a hold. And they were able to get inside leverage on our slot with their slot receivers. And they continued to attack the post, but they did it in a way that they could high-low the mic um, when we were in single safety. And they, you know, put somebody underneath him and somebody behind him. And if he stutters his feet at all, there was two or three throws that I thought were excellent throws, put it right over the top of the Mike linebacker. We just need to not take the cheese and just keep sinking and help the post safety because on one of them, it was a third down on, I can't remember if it's their first drive or their second drive. Thompson did a tremendous job of looking the safety off. 
looked to his left hard, had a high-low on the mic, came right back, put it right over Callahan's hands, and all he did was stop his feet for a second. So I, I tip my hat to them in terms of great execution, obviously attacking the weakness of the defense, but we've got to know our weaknesses, and we've got to do a better job of, of you know, guarding against those things and not, hey, if they want to throw the under route, let them throw the under route. We can rally and tackle that, but we can't give them the seam ball for a first down. Yeah, you know, it's funny because you go back and look at it, and I think it was quite honest. I mean, we fumbled the ball. The one with Travis, I thought he was in, and the ball came out. Um, and, uh, you know, so now it's you – know, that was an efficient first down play. And then we fumbled the ball on the quarterback sneak, so we don't get a clean exchange there. And so now we're kind of behind the sticks. We run the, the Q power with Troy, and Troy had bounced one early at the end of the first half. Um, and he tried to bounce it. If, if he doesn't bounce it, if he just follows Lewis, he's going to walk into the end zone. And so I don't think it was anything that they did to us. I think it was things that we did to ourselves down there. You know, if I felt like we just were completely outmanned, I don't think that was the case. I think we kind of didn't operate, you know, didn't handle snaps, didn't do basic little things that are going to, you know. And, I, and again, with Troy, it's like, hey, it worked last time. I bounced the same play and walked into the end zone. Well, let's trust it here. It's a one – you were on the five- or six-yard line. You got more more – opportunity to use your speed to get to the edge here we're on the one or two yard line let's pour this thing in you're 225 pounds let's go get it and um you know i think that was that was probably a big issue there and and you know we actually scored on one of those drives but they had 12 guys they said they had 12 guys in formation i i actually will say this i think that because we had a late sub and the umpire had his back to the sideline they did the right thing by stopping the play but they should have stopped the play earlier um i don't think the referee saw he was holding over because he saw us sub late it was the umpire that was on the ball. And because his back was to the Sacramento State sideline, he couldn't see them subbing. And that's how they ended up with 12. He should have probably just held it there or just blown the thing dead, okay, reset the play clock and let's go, instead of letting the play continue. Because really 12 men in formation is a dead ball penalty. you got to blow the – it's like a procedure, okay. If they're not in formation, you let the play continue. And so that was one of the things that came up. But, you know, we did struggle getting the ball in down there. And then, you know, we had the opportunity late in the game – where, um, you know, we tried to throw the ball in because we're, you know, up against the clock a little bit and weren't able to convert there. I mean, we had three trips into the red zone with no points, uh, turnover and, and two fourth down stops. And, you know, even if we get that first score where we get stopped, at that point I think we'd come up with some answers on offense. And I think we were grooving pretty good. And uh, one of the things that happened to us in the third quarter that has been a little bit uncharacteristic is we didn't rise on any side. We didn't make plays on special teams to give us that momentum or that boost. We didn't get stops on defense. We didn't move the ball on offense. I mean, they took the ball down, scored, got a stop, took the ball down, scored. You know, in one of those three sequences, if we do something to give ourselves an opportunity to gain some momentum back, might end up being a bit of a different ball game at that point. You guys have been able to run the ball uh, with a lot of different people, but not having Isaiah, how is that? Our running back situation was a problem in this game with once uh, um, Logan went down with that hamstring after that long run. Uh, and not so much in terms of our run game, because we could get to our run game with other guys. It was in protection. Some guys that just had not seen, I mean, a couple of those sacks were directly related to, you know, us not doing the right thing at that position in terms of protection. And so um, that became a little bit of an issue. Uh, you know, we'll correct it. I think a lot of the issue was 99, 95, 57. Those guys are pretty good. Number five, number 44. You know, now when you don't block them, it makes it a little easier on them. 
but we've just got to you know continue to get those young guys reps in those situations and that's one of the things that I think we've got to examine as a coach is, is hey we've got to put ourselves in the worst possible situations during the week in practice don't script for success you know put you know Shane Perry out there and let's run zombie protection and see if he knows what he's doing so that when we have to use him on Saturday he's at least seen it and uh, I think that's something that we've got to do a better job of as a coaching staff. How would you evaluate 99 Obina? What kind of problems does he cause me? He's got really good twitch. He's, he, you know, I would say as a run defender, 95 is the better run defender. He's a little more stout and does a really good job kind of slipping gaps inside. 99 has got a great first step, which is the best tool that a pass rusher can have is their get off. Uh, uses his hands well. They allow him, I think, to do what you call cover me, which is kind of he gets a two-way go and then they cover him up with movement late so that he can try to create a one-on-one on those tackles. And so I think he's you know, clearly one of the best pass rushers in this league. What have you thought of the big sky three games in? Uh, how do you kind of evaluate the, the, what you've seen? Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting because we played, you know, you play Case Cookus, who's going to air the ball all over the place, and then you play Cal Poly, who's going to run the ball all over the place, and then you kind of play a balanced team like Sacramento State. And I think that's one of the reasons why they're so good right now is they're very balanced. They have uh, great balance as a team. They're good on defense. They're good on offense. Their offense is, as I said, balanced. They run the ball well. They throw the ball well. Um, it's kind of ironic. You look at the stat line. This game came down to third downs. That's what this game came down to. Like, we, I think they had one more first down than us. We outrushed them. We actually exceeded the, their rushing average by almost 60 yards. Or, you know, and then you take away a few for the sacks, um, what they'd been given up. We threw the ball for 260 yards. Um, we each had a turnover, both of them were in the red zone. So you kind of look at that as a wash. And then you look down the stat line and you go, oh, yeah, you know, they were 9 of 13 and we were 4 of 15. I mean, that's. That's why we lost the game. We couldn't get off the field on defense, which has been problematic for us. Not so much this year. We've been actually very good on third down defense going in. But all year, offensively, we've been not good on third downs. And so, um, you know, I think that we've become too predictable a little bit. And we've got to be more willing to, to, you know, examine that. And that's what we're in the process of doing right now. In the FCS, how important is it to bounce back from a loss. I think 11 ranked teams lost with a playoff. Yeah. How is it I, I, I think obviously this league is going to be interesting, man. I mean, you look at the matchups that are going to show up coming down the stretch and um, it's going to be, it's going to be an exciting league to watch. And I think that obviously you got to look at it and no one game is going to define your year. And I think that if you, you know, sometimes losing early is a, a little bit better than losing late. And so we control our own destiny, just like everybody else does in this league at this point. I don't think there's a lot of teams that are out of the race, so to speak. You know, a couple at the bottom that maybe have, have, have dropped a few games and they're kind of looking up at the standings. But if you're a one-loss team or even a two-loss team in this league and you run the table, you probably are going to get an opportunity to get in the tournament. And so, um, you know, a lot of football to be played. A lot of football to be played. No matter how far you may go, there's always one just down the road. Down come who? On your way home, grab 1.5 liters of Sutter Home Wine, only $9.99, or stock up on beer. Now you can get Pabst or Rainier 24-packs for $17.99. Town Pump Food Stores, proud to be part of our community.